On paper, the objective of rugby is simple. Carry a ball across the scoring zone to secure more points than your opponent. It sounds easy enough. In reality, 300 feet and 15 burly athletes looking to knock you off your feet at every turn make scoring a point a Herculean task. But therein lies the joy of being a rugby player. Join me, host O'Hara Shipe for Hometown Alaska, as I explore the world of Alaskan rugby. We're talking with Dave Delosier, better known as Double D in the rugby community. He moved up to Alaska in 1997, although he's originally from Maine. He's currently going to be a 2023 inductee into the Rugby Hall of Fame for Alaska. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you and learn a little bit more. Um, So I know you started rugby in 1993 in Turkey, right? Yes, I did. What got you into the sport? Um... I played a lot of sports in high school, like like many young men. And when high school ended and I did not go into college and I joined the service, um, I, I had a kind of a need to play sports, specifically contact sports. And uh, while stationed over in Turkey, um, was stationed with a bunch of um, British, a bunch of British troops, and they introduced it to me, and I and instantly fell in love with it. Um, so, you know, a lot of our listeners, uh, probably don't really know what rugby is. They may have seen a TikTok video go viral, um, with, you know, the New Zealand doing the haka, but how would you best describe rugby for people who have never seen it? Okay. Um, so rugby is a contact sport. It's played by either 15, 10 or seven players per side where the ball stays in constant play. The goal of the game is to ground the ball in the end goal area of the opponent's try line. And uh, rugby, kind of like soccer, is actually played with both ball in hand and by kicking. And it's, it's a little bit of a gladiator sport as well, right? I mean, because there's no pads worn except for maybe a soft helmet. Correct. All we wear is cleats. Some people wear a mouthpiece. So transitioning from American football into rugby, I mean, did your parents think you were nuts? Um, that's just the, the, you know, the general consensus. Um, once they figured out, you know... Um, through the international scene, you know, and seeing, watching it a little bit on TV, they were like, wow, this really is comparable to, say, the NFL. It is a very professional sport. Right. Just without the pads, because we're rugby players and we like to make it more difficult and maybe a little more painful. <laughs> um, so when you moved up to Alaska in 1997, uh, there had already sort of been a rugby community there. What was it like? Oh, uh, it was a very welcoming group. Um, one of my mentors, and you probably people within the rugby communities I heard his name cam vivian he pulled me underneath his wing um you know and, and just helped me out so much the transition to alaska the you know the move to alaska and then staying within the rugby community there was a very fun group at the time there was four teams and i think only one of them remain um but yeah it was we just uh played every single weekend and i uh, had a great time and um, so that that one team that remains, if I'm not mistaken, is the is the Bird Creek Barbarians, which incidentally my dad played for uh, back in the 1980s. Um, but do you, you know, I know you came to the scene late, but do you know anything about the Alaskan rugby mythology? Like, how did this all get started? Uh, I actually have learned a lot talking to the old boys, um, building up to this 50th year, um, the gala and whatnot. It, it's been a, it's been a great refresher. And then uh, trying to trying to figure out between legend and lore, but um, in 1973, you know, obviously 50 years ago, a radio ad was put in by um, 
one of our legends, and uh, he had played rugby down in Nevada prior. At the time, um, Anchorage had only about 80,000 people in it, so low numbers were really expected. And 45 people showed up to the first practice. It was pretty pretty pleasurable um, from what from I gather. At the same time, Paul Schmidt, he's a local high school teacher from West. Uh, he showed up with a large group of 18 to 20-year-olds that he taught um, while they were at West High. And then you combine those two in the 1970s, and uh, Alaska rugby was off and running. Oh, wow. And do you remember by chance, I mean, or, or I guess has anyone told you what the names of the other clubs were? Um, that time, the, the, for that initial time, it was the Bird Creek Barbarians and the Spernard Green Dragons. Oh, okay. Oh, I do remember about the Green Dragons. I think they had some sort of um, <laughs> some sort of team that was still going up until a couple of years ago, right? They did. Actually, they rebranded. Um, they changed their name right around 2012, and um, they continued to win about five or six more championships in a row. So obviously you kind of came to the scene a little bit later um, in the 90s, but I had heard from some of the old boys when I started off a year ago um, that there were some pretty crazy stories that happened in the 70s and 80s when it was Alaska was even more of the Wild West. Um, are there any infamous stories or matches that have been continually sort of passed down through the ranks over the years? Sure. This is kind of a trap question. Um, <laughs> Maybe a little. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, rugby in the non-professional area um, clearly had several spirited matches. Uh, there's one referee per match, being able to watch only one area. Um, and then there's several out-of-sight players that would take uh, matters of infractions into their own hands, um, or in some case, using their feet. Uh, it, it, back then, uh, in kind of the wild, wild west, it was just considered part of the game. Um, as far as being able to mention on the radio here, uh, I would say... The, the entertaining winter matches of the Frozen Usyk, which is a fur rondy staple, all going all the way back um, well over 40 years. And up north, they have a Pearl Harbor Day match up in Fairbanks, which is played on the frozen Chena River. And uh, both are quite lively. Both are played in a co-ed format with um, costumes. They're not wearing much of anything and have definitely brought the rugby community joy for years. Th uh, especially through right. the tough winter months. Right. And I, you know, I played in my first uh, frozen Usyk last year when we got completely dumped in snow. Um, so I can tell our listeners what it's like running through three to four feet of snow, also known as just stepping and falling, I would say. <laughs> uh, do you have any memories from, from any of the matches you've played in? Um, one of my biggest memories was probably the, my first year was the championship match, um, against a military team called the Thunderbirds, which, um, also rebranded, you know, the military teams always come, they're, they're fit, they're, you know, very military-like and, uh, you know, just, just high numbers and, the the, the two-star general at the time really supported the club. They just came off the championship in 1996 we were playing them for the championship in 1997, and I think we came out with a 17 to 15 victory. And uh, I know everyone, all 30 players and the subs, pretty much fell over after that match. It was it was pretty exciting. So. <laughs> right, and and you know, obviously, with we've mentioned it before, with out wearing gear, injuries being a big part of it. Um, <laughs> what was probably the gnarliest injury um, you saw from your playing days in Alaska? Um, you know, injuries do happen. Um, you know, some, some of the, uh, the open fractures, 
those are the ones that get the oohs and ahs. But um, th- there's been there's actually been a few serious injuries, um, a little bit more serious than that. They they don't show up visibly, but um, it, it does occur. It is a contact sport, and accidents do happen. But there's a couple a couple head injuries. They they tend to um, even the smallest cut on the forehead tends to bleed excessively. So those are the ones that get all the pictures and people are smiling and you know a couple broken noses and whatnot. Right. I mean, it is kind of a point of pride to to post a picture, at least nowadays, of a, yeah. of a good bloody nose after matches. Sure, sure. So rugby, obviously kind of an eccentric sport, um, not something most people would associate with Alaska. I mean, we're kind of known for winter sports. Why has the sport, in your opinion, kind of taken off um, up in Alaska? Um, just in general, you know, Alaskans are tough. You know, we're, we're, we're a rugged group, you know, dealing with the winters and the seasons. And all the other small challenges that we have to deal with, um, rugby for Alaskans in general is a, it's actually a great fit. Um, we have a big mix of athletes that graduated high school, much like myself, looking to play adult sports. Um, we have a large Polynesian community that uh, loves the sports, going all the way back to the island days, and then uh, just the general last frontier spirit that has people um, trying new things in their thirties, forties, and even fifties. Many with no no sporting experience at all, they'll just come out and say, you know what, I'm going to try something new right now. And Alaska welcomes all players of all types at all times. And they find themselves a little family. You know, and speaking of, of that and, and kind of just Alaskans with a natural talent for the sport, um, Anchorage, or I guess uh, Anchorage Municipality is the home of USA rugby star Alev Kelter, um, who is now, I believe, a two-time Olympian. What has been the impact of having such a high-profile player from Alaska um, and how has that impacted the, the rugby scene in recent years? Um, for starters, Alev is just an awesome person, right? Um, almost anyone that's ever been in a room with her, she just lights up the room with um, just high energy and just, just being a great person. Um, Alev, she's been a massive um, contributor to the Alaska rugby. Uh, I know that one of the big ones is her and the entire USA women's team visited in 2015 and it essentially launched the youth program in the area. They went, each of the girls, they paired up with um, onesie twosies and they went to all the middle schools, all the high schools and uh, literally built the youth program from non-existent to um, the foundation of what it is today. She, um, yeah. and, And even through her fame, you know, you know, she's been, you know, world rugby fame, Olympic, you know, Olympian fame. You know, she continues offers her experience to run um, both youth and adult camps year after year up here. You know, she really gives back to the Alaska community. And uh, just essentially, we really can't get enough of love. Um, and we definitely love her visits, you know, when, when she does have downtime in between her 15s and 7s playing. So one other thing I want to talk to you about, and it was a huge movement uh, for I think Alaskan rugby was the creation of the Alaska Rugby Mountain Grounds. Um, what can you tell listeners about that and how how that got started and it has influenced the game up there? So the property itself started on, written on a napkin after a post social in about the ninety seven era. You know, right when I came on board and it was kind of the, laid the foundation of, uh, you know, I'd like to create a property like this. You know, it, it took him several some time and uh, his. His vision and his dream became a reality, and as soon as we, you know, put our eyes on it, it is a, it's a, um, it's a special place. Not just in the rugby community, but people use it for, you know, weddings and private functions. But within the rugby community, 
it's now a bit of a mecca, you know. It's uh, the field of dreams. People come from all around the planet to play on it. People that have seen or heard about it have it on their bucket list. So what it did for us in Alaska is it took the occasionally, you know, one every five years a team would come up on a tour to Alaska. And what it did is it turned it so we have several teams coming up some year after year, you know, repeat customers and then new new teams coming up to play us all the time. So we do like our um, our matrix system and, you know, our rugby community, but it's always nice to host um, different different teams and different players, especially, like I said, from all around the world. Right. And we're talking specifically about the the mountain grounds that are owned by Justin Green. Um, for people who don't know, they're up on the hillside, probably one of the most scenic rugby pitches in the world, if I'm not mistaken. We like to say that. Other people have said that they have nice pitches, too, and they, I, I agree they do. But, uh, you know, home field, it's ours. And, uh, yeah, it's the nicest pitch on the planet. Right. I mean, it might be tough to kind of be overlooking the mountains and the water and having midnight sun, I imagine. And then, so up at the rugby grounds, they every single year there is the sevens tournament, and we kind of mentioned it how they bring teams from all over the world. Uh, where are some of the teams coming from for that tournament? Coming on this next year, we're we're actually even expanding um, further. So the Delta Tukes have talked about coming from South um, Cape Town, South Africa, which is if you look on the globe, it is literally the furthest city away from Anchorage. So, and then there's obviously a lot of places closer, but. We've had teams from England. Um, we've had teams all throughout the United States, um, teams from New Zealand, Canadian teams. That's tends to be a little bit easier. So then you retired uh, in what year from, from playing competitively? Um, retirement from rugby is always like murkish water. Um, you retire from competition and you enter a different form of competition. Um, they have old boys that starts at, 35 years old. Um, I probably retired from true competition um, when I got in my young, in in my early thirties, but I still played three matches just uh, a month and a half ago. So still playing, still get sore. So it never (laughs) really goes away. It's a lifetime sport. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit, I mean, like how has rugby changed from when you were starting, you know, as a young man in 97 to playing three matches uh in the old guys tournament um so back then um like like i mentioned before this the spare did it was in the um before the professional era it was um it, it was pretty uh yeah per, i don't want to say violent but it was it was very physical um some of the things that we could do at at breakdowns uh if, if somebody just happened to be like laying on the ball you would you would help them get off the ball with your feet and now, and in, in today's world, that same activity is actually a penalty and could potentially send you off the pitch with a either a yellow card, which is a temporary suspension, or a red card, a permanent suspension. So, uh, the, some of the some of the on the ball and off the ball activities are are definitely over. And when you play old boys, it's a lot more social. It's it's it it does involve contact, but nobody. Nobody goes back to those old days of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they're looking at, you know, ruining a 50, 60, or 70-year-old's day. So it was very physical. The same people that we played very physically with is actually um, very fun, and uh, they can still contribute to the sport. 
and then we have a nice social laughter. And social, obviously, uh, probably involves a little bit of beer, I imagine. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, sometimes that's the reason people play, you know, that, that social as- aspect. You know, you play, you get a good little athletic workout up to 80 minutes, and then, you know, you're going to be fed and probably have a few drinks with your friends, and then you're going to meet some new friends from the other team. So, absolutely. It took a little less than 50 years for the Alaska Rugby Union to field its first Olympian. What do the next 50 years look for the union look like? Oh, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, so, just like the first Alaska rugby advertisement I mentioned earlier, 1973, pretty much started all this. Um, just general people knowing about rugby is key to the growth of Alaska. And, uh, and you know, th- this interview, it, it's going to be part of that. And I obviously I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be on the radio because it's going to help that advertisement. But for the next 50 years, uh, the, some, of the, some of the big rocks are going to be launched off the backs of the national office, especially in the next decade. We have the 2024 Paris Olympics. Uh, then we host the 2028 Olympics in L.A. And then USA is the host of both the men's and the women's Rugby World Cups in 2031 and 2033. So that, coupled with a growing professional Major League Rugby league down in the lower 48, which just completed its sixth season, should really help make um, USA Rugby a household name. And then people seeking information about rugby – um, after they after they have an introduction of the sport, can easily find us. And, of course, we um, welcome each and every person to play, manage, support, or even watch us. And then, essentially, we have a saying, rugby isn't for everyone, but it's for anyone. And they, ultimately, they can contact us, and we will get you plugged into the rugby scene, which is currently thriving and fun. And hopefully we'll be adding a few more Alaskan Olympians to that roster coming up here. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this year you're being inducted into the Alaska Rugby Union Hall of Fame. Tell me a little bit about what that felt like. Oh, it was quite an honor. Like I said, I, I knew most of the people. There's actually tournaments, Matt, um, named after a few of our, um, you know, founding fathers or search of a better term, like, you know, like like Bill Tucker. We have the Mother Tucker Tournament and whatnot. So they've always came to our games um, throughout the 90s and 2000s. You know, very approachable still. They don't play. They're on the sidelines. And um, it, it's been amazing. And just talking to them through the legend and lore, um, I would get an ab workout just just listening and laughing at what they're saying. Um, they obviously, several of those peers were, you know, nominated to the Hall of Fame a few years prior. And just to have my name associated with them and all you know, was, was, was one of the highest honors I've ever had in rugby. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, and huge congratulations uh, to that. And as a rugby player and myself uh, with the Alaska Union, you know, thank you for everything you did to open doors for us. Um, it was awesome talking to you today and hearing some of the PG stories. Uh, fans will have to definitely show up to rugby matches to hear maybe the more salacious ones from back in the day. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and thanks for inviting us. All right. Thanks, Dave. We hope you have a good one. You're listening to Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheib. That was Dave Delosier, president of the Alaska Rugby Union and recent Hall of Fame inductee, telling us about rugby's rich history in Alaska. After this short break, we'll be back with women's and youth coach and union board member Jamie Almonte.
Welcome back to Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheidt. Up next, here's women's and youth coach and Alaska Rugby Union Vice President, Jamie Almonte. So you're from Rhode Island, um, also a longtime rugby player who played in college. Uh, tell me a little bit about what originally brought you all the way from the East Coast to Alaska. You know, it's a, it's a really funny story. I was one of those New Englanders that never planned on leaving. Um, I'm from Rhode Island, and people who are from there aren't. Um, Rhode Islanders have a tendency to not want to drive more than 10 minutes in any direction because our state is so small. Um, and I really thought that that was going to be me. Until I went to New Hampshire for college. So that was a three-hour drive. I was getting a little adventurous. And then when I finished grad school in Massachusetts, I was really, really burnt out. Um, I studied exercise, physiology, um, sports science, basically. And uh, I was looking around for internships and opportunities to kind of use my college degrees um, that involved rugby. Because as I had learned to play rugby, I had gotten very passionate about the sport and how it connected to what I was studying in school. Um, And I found two opportunities through my deep Google Google searching. One was a rugby injury prevention research study um, position in New York City in the middle of the summer. And that sounded really, really interesting, really academic, really, really hot. Um, And then (laughs) and it sounded like a lot of work, having been burnt out from like a lot of schooling and work. Um, And then I found this Alaska rugby internship program on Google. And uh, I emailed Dave Delosier, who you spoke to all also. um, And I said, you know, dear Mr. Delosier, I am, and then I like listed my my academic qualities. I, you know, sold myself, right? Attached my recipe, my resume. And uh, he emailed me back and he was like, cool, let me do some checking. You're probably in. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, uh, I, I was real serious. Um, and he, uh, he did his work behind the scenes and I got into the internship program and my, my graduate advisor and me, really sat down and talked about like what the best opportunity for me was at the point. And it was go to Alaska, enjoy Alaska, do what you love and have fun. Right. Cause I wasn't doing it for college credit. I wasn't doing it for anything um, besides, you know, being involved in rugby. Um, and so I took the internship here in the summer of 2019 and I had the time of my life. Um, it was probably the most amir- amazing experience I've ever had. Um, I met, Really great friends, really great rugby community. I lived at the Alaska Mountain Rugby Grounds for a summer, um, and I was immersed in a rugby culture that I had not seen yet in my collegiate playing experience. Um, senior rugby is different. Uh, senior rugby in Alaska is even more different and special. So it, um, the internship program here really brought me a lot, and I learned a lot about working with different clubs Um, different people, different organizations, leadership of senior rugby clubs, leadership of teams, coaching, all sorts of things that I didn't know that I was going to learn. I'd hoped I would learn something. I wasn't quite sure what I would. Um, But yeah, it was amazing. And obviously it was a great experience because you ended up relocating to Alaska full time, Uh, right? (laughs) Yeah. I left after my internship and about, oh, I don't know, three months later, uh, Justin Green, the owner of the Mountain Grounds, called me up and was like, you know, I think you need to come work for me. And I was like, what? You you own a demolition company. That's that's crazy. That's not what I went to school for. And he goes, come on, just give it a try. Uh, I think you'll you'll be great at it. And so I did. I picked up I packed up all my things. I decided in November of 2019 that I was going to move here. And I moved here officially on December 28th uh, with three suitcases, sold my vehicle, got rid of pretty much everything. And I moved in with the greens at the mountain grounds. And I worked for him for a couple of years before getting back into my field. That's kind of one of the things. I mean, there's a lot of stereotype 
about rugby players that were crazy, probably chief among them. But one that people never really talk about is how tight the community is and how you can travel anywhere around the world, jump onto Facebook, find a rugby crew, and they'll help you get settled um, and even probably let you live with them for a bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, rugby players are like the the biggest group of instant family. Um, no matter no matter where you go, I've seen it. Like people go through some things. We've had we've had members of our community and every rugby community I've been a part of that have been going through hardships in life, whether it be cancer or, or some sort of medical issue or um, losing their job. And the rugby community just rallies behind everyone. Um, whether you need a couch to sleep on, whether you need a fundraiser, whether you need us to show up for you know, an event that you don't have a date to, right? Like, no matter where you're at, you have somebody in rugby that's willing to be there for you at every stage in life and whatever you need. Admittedly, I didn't know about the data rugby program. Kind of wish I did (laughs) for a few events back in the day, but that's a good thing to keep under my hat. I'd be your date. (laughs) You would have been a fantastic date for sure. Would add so much fun. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what do you think it is about rugby that kind of invites that sense of community? Well, as as you know, rugby is a contact sport, right? So it requires a certain level of aggression, but we also do contact without padding, right? So it also requires, at least in my opinion, a a great level of respect for your teammates and for your opponents. So when you're you're making a tackle, you're doing it because you want to win and you're doing it because because you want to have an impact, but you're not doing it because you want to hurt them, right? Especially in senior level rugby. It's like we're we're all adults and have jobs and families and things that we have to do. We're doing this because we enjoy it for a lot of reasons. And uh so we we you know beat each other up on the pitch and shake each other's hands after, share a beer, share a conversation, share a meal. Um, and I haven't really seen that in any other sport that I've been in where it's like you're highly, highly competitive. And then all of a sudden you come together and you're best friends, dep- no matter what team you're on, no matter what part of the world you're from. Yeah, no. And, and I think you're right, too, about the contact. You don't really understand how close of contact um, rugby players really have until you get in there. Um, I know from my first practice, um, you were my coach, so you definitely remember um, I was asked to be an eight man. And for people who don't know, there's a scrum of people. Um, a bunch of about three different lines of people, and the eight man is the one at the very end who basically sticks their head in between everybody's legs um, and has butts surrounding them <laughs> at every corner. Um, that was my first practice. I remember saying, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is a sport of, of close contact and trust, which I, I think you're right. That is part of the reason that rugby does have that. Um, that sense of community with it because you're literally closer to people than you ever thought you would be uh, in your waking life. <laughs> yeah, lot, lots of physical touch, lots of uh, smells going on. <laughs> <laughs> this, not the Arctic foxes, though. They smell great in case they're listening. <laughs> Um, So, you know, one of the things that I I love most about rugby is just its inclusivity. Um, For people who have never been to a match, uh, they're often held in Mountain View in Anchorage. Um, And when you show up, you're likely to hear about 10 different languages being spoken. Uh, It's almost like being transported to the islands of, you know, Fiji or Tonga or Samoa. Um, You know, how has the Alaska Rugby Union really continued to foster that diversity within the game? Yeah, um, diversity and inclusivity are huge for rugby, right? There's every culture, every body type, every type of person, um, every career, right? Every walk of life we have people from, and it's amazing. And yeah, you hit it spot on. In Alaska, we have a ton of diversity, specifically a lot of folks from the islands. So you'll hear them speaking their native their native language a lot of the times in the games, and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what you're saying, but you're really good at rugby, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> 
Uh, some other things we've we've done. I mean, body positivity is huge, at least for us in in the women's program. Um, there's no shape or size that's right for rugby um, in any level, in any age group, in any gender, any division. There's no one body type, which um, somebody who has been a little bit on the overweight side for a lot of my life um, working through athleticism has been something that has helped me personally with my body image. And um, one of the reasons I coach women is because I think it helps women um, to feel strong and confident and independent and knowledgeable in their ability and their inner strength. Another thing is, you know, the youth programs. We have we have rugby players in this state from the age of five to I don't know how old the oldest guy that's playing on old guy, old boys is right now, seventy, eighty. Yeah, wow. like so we have rugby players all ages, and it's just amazing to see people who can just really embrace the community and the the chaos of rugby. Um, we also have this year. Um, we did our first ever collaboration event with the Special Olympics of Alaska in both Anchorage and Fairbanks, which my background in high school, I had done a lot of uh, unified sports when I was in high school. And it's been something that I've been wanting to do in rugby for, for a while now. And we finally got that kind of set up this year. And um, in Anchorage, we did a, we did one day of their sports camp um, and we did a rugby clinic. We had volunteers from the Foxes and from the youth rugby program that went down to the park strip and did a whole day of training uh, with unified athletes from the Special Olympics. And then we also had a group in Fairbanks from the Fairbanks Sundogs go up to their camp and do the same thing, um, which to me was like the most exciting highlight of this year, I think. Yeah, and I, if I read correctly, too, there's some clinics that were hosted out in the villages as well, right? Um, in the villages, a lot of the communities really look forward to their sport. Um, sport and competition is something that's really exciting for them and something for them to rally around. Um, and we would love to get rugby into that, again, just because of the inclusive culture and that everyone can do it if they want to. I, we think it would be a great addition. So in, in this year... We had a camp up in Kotzebue. One of our youth coaches was up there for work, and he hosted a camp there for some interested local kids. And then we had a woman here this year who was traveling for work um, with FEMA who was up in Bethel, and she did a youth and an adult camp up there. And the Alaska Youth Rugby Program provided balls and equipment to those communities. And after the coaches left, they actually left that behind. And actually in Bethel, uh, Mo, the coach that was there, was able to find members that actually live in that community way up north in Alaska that have rugby experience. She oh, found wow. a collegiate rugby player and a woman from South Africa who had played rugby most of her life. So she actually found a rugby community in somewhere where, you know, you would not have expected it. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't didn't even realize that it happened um, or that the balls yeah. had been left behind. So I know um, the Alaska Youth Rugby Club uh, just received a Mayor's Community Development Grant. Uh, what will the union be doing with the money? Will they be doing more clinics like that? Yeah, so um, when we wrote the grant, we wrote it for a couple different purposes. And now what we're doing is trying to figure out where to allocate the funds now that we know exactly how much money we received. Um, we are thankful for the mayor and his team for providing this opportunity for us to grow our sport here in the state. And we're really excited to see where it can take us and uh, hope it helps us kind of jumpstart some big projects here in our 50th year um, to continue moving forward. So a couple things. There's kind of two main categories. Um, one of them is upgrading our pitch at Davis Park, which is in Mountain View. There's always been kind of a grand plan. You can ask different old boys what that grand plan was. Each one has kind of like a different idea of what it is. But in general, what it is is building a couple more fields in that location so we can do full family 
community events on Saturdays when we're doing rugby. So you've been there, right? You can picture it. We usually play on one field, one team's playing or one game's playing at a time. Everyone kind of watches. But um, imagine that field where you have, you know, one game going on on one pitch and then in the pitch right next door, you have a youth game. So like dad can be playing on one pitch while his kid plays the, the field over. Right. And you can share that as a family and as a group and as a community. So really that that's the growth and expansion mindset of of that pitch um, and maybe upgrading some things, maybe like our up uh, our uprights and our storage yeah. shed. <laughs> um and then the other half of that funding is for rugby development opportunities. So you hit it right on there. Like, so getting clinics. Um, so it's the mayor's fund. So it'll be stuff, you know, within the municipalities. So getting people like Lev Kelter and Catherine Treater, who are USA rugby players that are from Alaska, helping them to come up here and do more clinics, um, helping get them flown up here or getting other high level players up here to do development opportunities, getting training for coaches, getting training for referees, things like that, so that we can provide better quality rugby for our youth players. And the, if we if we can feed our youth community and our players, we can give them opportunities and we can also continue to grow the adult scene here in Alaska. It's all connected. You know, I think we, we've talked a little bit about the benefits of senior rugby, particularly for women. Um, and, you know, I've been someone who benefited from that, particularly the body positivity and feeling stronger. You know, I can attest to it helping me in my professional career as well and giving me that confidence. But when it comes to youth, I think a lot of parents would probably think it is insane to put your child in a sport that has such contact like rugby does. Um, What would you say are the benefits of playing and, and fostering a youth program in Alaska? Yeah, I mean, my first response to that is always, yes, it's a contact sport and we don't wear padding, but I would say the injuries are not any more than any other contact sport. So it's not... It's not that much worse, <laughs> um, and it's not bad. It's a, it's a good thing. But the benefits of playing at youth from ages 5 to 12, it's getting active. It's learning the game. It's learning the community, um, and you don't do contact at those young ages. We play flag rugby. We play ultimate rugby, um, and we just are getting the kids active and learning rugby. Um, once they get into the older ages is when we start contact, and they start to be a bit more competitive, and there's huge opportunity right now for youth players playing rugby in this in this country, really, um, it's growing so rapidly because of the addition of the Major League Rugby and our USA Rugby national teams being more competitive and traveling the world. And there's so much opportunity for kids to get college scholarships, um, get professional recognition at a young age, um, all sorts of things. I mean, for example, this year, our youth team traveled down to Tampa, Florida for a sevens tournament in April. They train all winter indoors and they don't actually get a real competitive match until they get there Um, and they work hard and they play hard and five of our high school boys got college scholarships yeah all five of them were full ride scholarships to college Um, one of our young men is going to West Point three of them are going to American International College in uh, Springfield Massachusetts and one of them is going to Marion University Um, we've also had young women in the past get scholarships to division one programs throughout the country we've had um, youth athletes travel the world to play rugby. We had a young man a few years ago that played in Wales. We have a young man named um, Ami who got recruited and he actually got moved down to San Diego and he plays on the U.S. developmental national team and he travels the world to represent our country and play rugby. And he's actually the youngest player in Major League Rugby in on the San Diego Legion team. I did not realize that we had had that kind of impact in the last year. That's pretty incredible. So congratulations uh, to the union for that kind of success. 
it, it's all attributed to the coaches that, you know, run that program um, and the families and the kids that are willing to wake up at, you know, seven o'clock on a dark Saturday morning in the middle of winter to train on turf. I mean, it takes a special kind of kid to want to do that. And it's really rewarding as a coach and a member of the board to see them get the benefits of their hard work. Um, so I kind of want to return a little bit to, um, you know, to just kind of the senior clubs a little bit. We talked about the women, um, but and now, you know, I've, I've had some experience playing outside. How does Alaska rugby, in your mind, compare to lower 48 um, from when you first got to Alaska in 2019 to now four years later? So a lot has happened in the four years I've been here. Obviously, we had a, a global pandemic that kind of um, halted rugby for a little bit, and we're still kind of recovering for as far as from as far as senior rugby goes. We, I would say, well, big win last year, our first year, and as I understand it, ever having enough women to field competitive fifteen sides against our own. Um, against ourselves, like as Alaskan players. Um, in the past, we've hosted teams from out of state and combined Alaskan women's teams to play in 15s matches against them. But last year, we actually played competitive 15s matches with the Alaska women's teams, which was really, really a huge win, especially for me as somebody who is not really a sevens player. It's not my favorite thing to do. There's a lot of running involved in that, whereas 15s, you get to hit a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so that was really exciting. As far as like the senior program as a, as a whole, um, I've seen a lot of change administratively. I just feel like Dave and the rest of the board, um, we work really hard to get the clubs involved and get their buy-in and take ownership of the union as theirs. We might be the executives on the board, but really it's the 400 men and women that play in this union that, that it's for. So getting them to, to work like this year, each team is doing field maintenance on on the pitch. So down in the States, as you've learned, there's not just one field that every team plays on, right? Um, you were just telling me like you have to travel out of state to go play competitively. Here in Alaska, in Anchorage specifically, we have a bunch of teams and our home field is all the same home field. Um, in in the past, the union there were some guys who really were passionate about field maintenance, right? <laughs> um, and they took care of that and they took ownership of that. And now we're trying to help the union and the teams to take ownership of that as well. So each team kind of has their home game where they manage the field, they mow the field, they line the field. Another big difference between here and down in the States is I just feel like we're all so close, close knit here because I don't know, we're just so close to each other and we all play at the same place. And we like, you get to play your rugby game here and then you get to watch three more. Right. Because we all play at the same field. So if you love rugby and you love watching sport, it's like a whole day event. And it's a, it's amazing. We also have some really, really special tournaments here, including the Midnight Sun Sevens tournament up at the Alaska Mountain Rugby Grounds, where people travel to come play us because of the beautiful pitch. We have a special rule during that Sevens tournament that if you try dive, so when you score your try, if you dive into the pond that's just beyond the uprights, you actually automatically get your conversion points and you don't have to worry about missing the kick, which is really fun. Um, down in Kenai every year, we have a Tens tournament called Dipnet Fest that surrounds salmon fishing. Like, there's not much more Alaskan than you can get. As, as someone who's not from here, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I get to play rugby and then get the most delicious salmon I've ever eaten. That's amazing. Um, and it's really fun, too, because we play rugby all day. And the uprights are, are um, outfitted with dip nets on either side of the post. And, it, again, special rule for Alaska rugby, if you kick your conversion kick into the dip net, you get an extra point on top of your conversion. So it's just, you know— 
it's different, but it's so much fun and it's so amazing. And the community is so close and uh, supportive of everybody. Jamie, yeah. I want to say thank you so much for coming into studio, for talking to us, and, and for your passion about the sport. Hopefully uh, it continues to build in Alaska and we continue to get more youth and, and more women's players and men's players. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. You're listening to Hometown Alaska on Alaska Public Media. I'm host O'Hara Scheidt. That was rugby coach and board member Jamie Almonte telling us about the unique sport that captured her heart. Links and more content are available on the Hometown Alaska page on alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll be back with State of Art. From Alaska Public Media, this is State of Art. Welcome to State of Art, your weekly dose of Anchorage Arts and Culture. I'm Ammon Swenson. Coming up, we'll hear about a benefit concert in Anchorage for the Kudgee Academy Tribal School up north in Wainwright. It'll feature local favorites Medium Build and Quinn Christofferson with a traditional Inupiaq dance group opening the show. That happens September 15th in the Discovery Theater at 7 p.m. We'll hear from longtime Anchorage musician and Arctic Slope Community Foundation marketing director James Domick Jr. to find out more. But first, here's Medium Build with Rage off the Health EP from earlier this year. Kiss my face I've spent so long trying to be tough Say my name Say my real name Hold my hand Tell me everything is gonna be good Trying to do it on my own by your side. That's where I'm going to stay. Can I come with you wherever you go? Call me out. Please don't give up on me now. I got this red. Got this rage inside of me. Got this. 
That was Medium Build's Rage. Now let's hear from James Domic Jr., who's organizing the benefit concert for the Kudgi Academy. He says it provides students a unique opportunity for their education. The Kudgi Academy is located in Wainwright, village of Wainwright, Alaska, at the very top. And it is a school that revolves around the Inupiaq culture and language and tradition. It's, you know, a little bit more than an immersion school. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a throwback to, you know, traditional Inupiaq education, the way we used to teach, you know, before contact. Yeah, and uh, you kind of mentioned that it kind of seems like it's, you know, hearkening back to, like you said, pre-contact, but also using some modern methods to teach kids as well, too. Yeah, you know, uh, they, the, the kids uh, learn from elders during the day. They speak in Inupiaq most of the day. Pretty sure it's required. And then the last couple hours of the day, they learn, you know, um, math, science, English, yeah. that you know, the other stuff. But um, it's almost a flip of the, the traditional system right now where there's no culture at all in – or maybe just a little bit in the uh, public education system, which is fine. You know, there's – you know, It's more like an afterthought or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this, this way is really putting our people forward, our culture forward, our, our language so, uh, yeah, they're, we're trying to raise some money for them. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, why, why raise money for them, you know? Uh, wh- why put on the benefit? Yeah, you know, it's – they're in the Arctic and things are expensive in the north. And so, uh, you know, getting them the infrastructure, getting them, you know, what they need to carry out this, this, uh, this tribal school, the Kadgi Academy – yeah, and, you know, I see that this is going to be probably like the first concert you've put on after years of playing, performing, stuff like that. How's it been to organize a show versus, you know, being the one on stage playing? It's been an interesting transition, uh, but it felt really natural. Um, I played for years in Anchorage, uh, you know, as a drummer for all sorts of bands. And uh, the time came, they got, you know, I, I got, I'm a marketing coordinator now. I work for the Arctic Slope Community Foundation. And we got asked to do a fundraiser, and um, I said, what about a concert? I know how to do that. I think I could do that. And then we started batting around some ideas. Where can we do it? And I said, no, it's, it's got to be a place that can handle the crowd, and it's got to be a place that the performers want to play at. Mm. Like, I love the museum. I've played the museum, the atrium. It's not, But it's like being in a bathtub. The sound bounces totally. everywhere. Not knocking the Anchorage Museum at all, but it's just – from a you know I've played it and so I understand the sound where it play you know but I said what if we do it at the performing arts center and make it a sit down show with two of Anchorage's finest you know and Nick just got signed to a big record label I used to play with Nick and I was the you know one of the first drummers for Medium Build and so uh, and I also sat played drums with Quinn a couple of years ago when we opened for Portugal the Man at the Fair so I know these guys they're buddies and I just kind of. Asked him as a buddy, you know, yeah. would you do a show at the pack for a fundraiser for this tribal school? And they just immediately they didn't even bat an eye. They were just totally on board. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the openers. It looks like you've got a uh, some dancers that are going to be opening the show. Can you talk about them a little? Yeah. I wanted to make this show unique and really Alaskan and really just kind of in line where my, my foundation is coming from. And having a traditional Inupiaq dance group, the Ilukus dance group, um, they're comprised of uh, people from up north on the North Slope who now live in Anchorage. And we're lucky to have them. And uh, 
you know, there's a lot of people who live in Alaska, who've lived in Alaska for a long time, but maybe haven't seen in person and felt in person traditional Inupiaq dancing, mm-hmm. drumming, and singing. And if you see it in person, there's a there's a feeling you get that is really hard to kind of describe, um, but it's powerful. And I want other people to feel that. I want other people to experience that and really kind of set the mood as... I mean, when's the last time you heard of a traditional Inupiaq dance group opening a show like this for, you know, a couple of hip hip cats, you know? (laughs) Um, But I thought it could work. There's a way it could work. And in Alaska, Alaska might be the only place it would really kind of work. Uh, But that's who we are. That's what we do. And I wanted to kind of share that part of my culture with everybody else because I I get goosebumps every time I sit in that because these songs are ancient. And they've survived. Yeah. And if they can survive, so can I. And the story is the the great Eagle Mother gave us these drums and these songs and these dances to celebrate life. And so that's what we're doing. And, you know... Um, I tie it back with the school, too, tie culturally. It back, tie it back with the school. Exactly. Yep. Can we dive into some of the specifics? The, the where, when, and how can people get tickets? Sure. The show is September 15th at the Discovery Theater... Downtown Anchorage at the Performing Arts Center. Everybody can get tickets at centerticks.com. And, you know, if somebody say they can't make it to the show, but maybe they'd still like to help out the Academy, is there a way that people could help out without going to the show? You can go to www.arcticslopecommunity.org for more information on the Kledge Academy and uh, anything else that we do. So Awesome. Yeah. Anything else you'd want to add about the concert or anything like that? It just started as an idea. It was one of those things that we just was a little idea I had with a, you know, coworker. Like, what if, what if we just did a concert, you know, and just did it right? And it just, and now it's here. And so yeah. we really hope to sell it out. It's a 700-seat theater. It's their middle-of-the-way theater. And this um, is medium build, you know. Yeah, you got to go right in there. The, you know, so, um, yeah, the Ilukus Dance Group, Quinn Christofferson, medium build and performing ask, arts center. Who could ask for more? <laughs> That was longtime Anchorage musician and marketing director for the Arctic Slope Community Foundation, James Domick Jr. He's organizing a benefit concert here in Anchorage for the Kudgi Academy Tribal School located in Wainwright. It'll feature Anchorage's Medium Build and Quinn Christofferson. That's on September 15th in the Discovery Theater. Let's wrap things up with Quinn Christofferson's thanks off of last year's Write Your Name in Pink album. Thanks for holding me when I have bad dreams. Thanks for supporting my big ideas Thanks for crushing the spiders No mercy Thanks for fixing up our home Thanks for telling me I'm smart And believing I can't do it on my own and I don't know what I was looking for But I knew when I found you and I don't know what I was looking for But I knew when I found you Thanks for being honest Thanks for being my friend Thanks for loving me 
After I said no one can Thanks for teaching me it's okay to be wrong And admit when you are Thanks for my nephew He says he loves you and he's doing good in school I don't know what I was looking for But I knew when I found you I don't know what I was looking for, but I knew when I found you. That's all for State of Art. I'm Ammon Swenson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Hometown Alaska. Our guests were Dave DeLosier, Alaska Rugby Union President and a Hall of Fame inductee, and women's and youth coach Jamie Almonte. I'm O'Hara Scheib. Our producer is Ammon Swenson. Find us on the web at alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. Hometown Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and do not reflect the underwriters or KSKA. Hometown Alaska's theme song, Lead Dog, is by Kevin Barnett from Eagle River. Learn more about Hometown Alaska and listen online at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.